So I'm pretty sure that I've officially become an old man because I'm doing the whole uh, fraternity support thing where I got to deal with college students all the time. And I'm just constantly thinking like, these kids are fucking morons, man. To be fair, we were also fucking morons at that age. I'm pretty sure some of us who shall go unnamed are still fucking morons. I mean, yes, yes, I am. I will name myself. I'm not ashamed of it. Hey, I haven't read your blog recently. Uh, how's it going? I mean, I'm actually reading it today for the first time in a while too. So <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of a sad thought. Um. Anyway, hey, look, I'm, look man, I'm I'm the stats and the analytics guy. I don't write anymore. Okay, you have someone else write for you. I don't write. I don't read. I don't, I don't English well. This is this can't be true because you read the Dune. What even is it now? It's not even a trilogy. It's like a. No, well, look. So first of all, we're gonna act like the ones that his son tried to write don't actually exist. So I believe there are six or seven Dune books. Dear God. Oh, okay. Only six or seven. That's actually not too unreasonable. But anyway. Uh, football. Oh yeah, football. That thing. Uh, yeah, we should be all excited because we actually won a game. So yeah, welcome everybody to the Toe Meets Other Podcast. I'm Logan here today with Andrew and Tommy. And as Tommy pointed out, we're here to talk about football. Artem will be joining us later, but since we're about midway through the season, uh, we want to t- take a time to kind of get back to basics and talk about our team. So Georgia Tech thus far... I'm, I'm going to let you guys get into some of the more players and the stats because obviously y'all keep better track of that. But I do want to take the time to highlight, I really liked what our AD did sending out that letter after the uh, game against Pitt where he kind of just showed his support. So I don't know. How would you put it? Was it him showing his support for Paul Johnson or just giving the finger to the fan base? Uh, Tommy, I mean, what were your thoughts reading that letter? Um, I, I don't think he was necessarily giving the, the finger to the fan base or anything. I think he was just kind of pointing out some of the the realities of the game and the way it is today and the amount of money that's been poured into some of these programs. And that, you know, it's it's a lot harder to compete in a, in a higher tier than you spend money on, if that makes sense. You can't just oh, I'm going to spend 10% of what Alabama does and then beat them, you know, every other year or even dominate them because you don't spend enough money. You don't have the resources in there. You can't prep the same way. You can't give players the same amount of attention. And even though there are rules limited coaching and stuff, there's something to be said for having more recruits, more people to break down film, more people to scout, more people to work in the nutrition and strength departments and that kind of thing. So I think his email was more, and for those of you who didn't know, Georgia Tech's athletic director sent out an email to all season ticket holders saying, hey, calm down. It's okay that you know we lost to USF. I still believe in Paul Johnson. And if you actually cared, stop complaining and buy tickets and come to the game. Yeah, I mean, for those who aren't aware, obviously Tech didn't get off to the start of the season they expected. Uh, they lost to USF, they lost to Pitt, they lost to Clemson, which at least that was expected. But we got off to like a 1-3 and three start, which is never where you want to be 
as a football program, but instead of kind of feeding into the hate or letting that kind of stuff go over him, the AD basically, uh, like, in my opinion, much like a boss, came out there, you know, with his sunglasses on, pulled off the sunglasses, and was like, chill the fuck out. Like, we, we're, you know, you got to understand our expectations. We can't throw money around like that. We, we got to understand our expectations as a program. Paul Johnson has been very successful here. Chill out, trust the process, much like the 76ers, and everything will be fine. And then he jumped into his golden Cadillac from his recent fundraiser and drove off into the sunset. Uh, no, that last part didn't happen. But, you know, Andrew, uh, what were your thoughts? I, I mean, you've often critiqued. Well, th- th- he brought up a lot of points that you bring up a lot of the time where it's just like you got to understand as a fan base that Georgia Tech is not in Alabama. We're not going to win every game we play and we don't have the money to you know, put into all these processes. So what were your feelings actually seeing that written out by the athletic director? I think it was good because it let us look behind the curtain a little bit. It allowed us, as you said, to see what we're competing with and where we're competing with. I worked with a coach one time that talked about Georgia Tech and said the problem is Georgia Tech's trying to compete on a mom-and-pop store budget in a land of Walmarts. Talking about all the SEC programs around us, but even a lot of the ACC programs. Johnson in his press conference this week talking about Duke really talked about how since he's gotten there, they've just poured money into their program. He talked about Duke's non-coaching staff, which is grown exponentially to be one of the top five largest in the conference while we've kind of still sat somewhere on the bottom in terms of our our non-coaching staff in terms of our monetary investments in terms of a lot of that and i think that's what a lot of stansbury was saying is guys i get it it's frustrating we've lost two very winnable games especially the usf game where we had a 10 point lead in the fourth and we just couldn't hold it as well as the year before, where we had a lot of games, where we had late leads, Tennessee, Miami, Virginia, and we couldn't hold them, and we went 5-6, and six and people are upset. A portion of the fan base will never like Paul Johnson, no matter what we do, and they're always the most vocal when things go bad. And I think that group really came out in force, and there are legitimate critiques about Coach Johnson. He's not perfect. There are a lot of things that you can look at and say, Coach, we really need to do better. But a lot of that also comes from the investment. It comes from we've got to have the resources. I think the move to Adidas is going to help. I think the locker room renovation is going to help. I think this AI 2020 initiative that we're raising money to rebuild the edge building, to re- you know, you look at the teams that we're trying to compete with and the amount of money they've just poured into their programs. And I'm not even talking the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Auburns, you know, look at what South Carolina's done. Well, look at what Kentucky's yeah. done. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to get us too much off on a rant, but I do agree. I mean, if you look comparatively, you got teams up here in North Carolina where people are getting a lot of investments. You got Clemson is succeeding in, and Miami is getting a lot of success. FSU is going to be reinvesting soon. So yeah, there's a lot that you're competing against. And I think our mascot really is a good emblem of what we've been in much of our history where we're a rambling wreck, literally we are working with what we got to put the pieces together and keep moving forward. I mean, it's not, it's not elegant. It's not beautiful, but we make do with what we got. 
And I mean, that's frustrating from a fan base standpoint because you're always, you're, it's that mentality when you get out of your room, you go out to your car in the morning and you're like, please let the engine start up. Please let the engine start up. You would love to be that guy that can just go out and buy a car. But you know, we're not. It's just what it is, okay? Uh, buy, you wish you could go out and buy a new car every other year. But you know, that's just the circumstance we're in. And I think it's good that our AD is kind of, is unlike a lot of other stuff where he could have just stayed quiet. He could have just uh, let it slide like things have in the past. But I, I, I like that Stansberry came out and made these statements and be like, look, we're behind you guys. Don't freak out. You know, this stuff happens. It sucks. I know, but we're going to move on and we're going to keep making good strides. So... Now that we're off that topic, let's go ahead and get into, I guess, what we really want to talk about, which is, uh, I'll go ahead and get into the stats and the players. Uh, Andrew uh, uh, and Tommy, obviously, y'all know a hell of a lot more about that than I do. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear about the O-line, because I know a lot of stuff has gotten switched around on there, but... All right, so if you want to talk about the players uh, for Georgia Tech, Andrew and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I think one of the most interesting things is if you actually look at some of the rankings uh, for the team, uh, you see that the offense is actually ranked pretty high and is doing pretty good, uh, sitting at about like a top 20 team offensively, but defensively they're not even in the top 100. So when you talk about players, a little bit of it is definitely going to come from, you know, new scheme, new coach, uh, as far as the defensive coordinator side is coming. But the offense is doing a lot of what you need it to. Some of down-the-stretch stuff, like blowing late leads and stuff, the offense can fix by not turning the ball over or actually running out the clock like they're typically good at doing for at least the first three quarters of the game. But as far as the players go, it looks like on defense there's just some holes there that aren't there. And some of those are being plugged by young guys, which is not the worst-case scenario because they will get better as the years go on. And you can hopefully recruit well to fill in the gaps that your seniors are leaving with guys that have a little bit of experience and improve year over year. On the offensive side, I don't think the offensive line is really that huge of a deal just from the – film I've been watching this year in general I'm not seeing too many plays where there are three offensive linemen laying on the ground who haven't blocked anybody or standing in a clump with all the defenders rushing straight past them and it's not a screen play I think a lot of the early issues came from Taquan Marshall being timid about pitching and being scared to pitch and a lot of the times if you watch especially when they start running the triple, he gets a little antsy and tries to cut up field sooner than he should. And that's a really hard thing because typically you want a downhill runner. You want a guy who's going to find a hole and hit it. But the problem is the holes that he keeps trying to hit are two-yard holes or they're not really holes because there's a linebacker or somebody sitting there. Whereas I think the Louisville game, you saw a lot more. Now, granted, Louisville's defense is terrible to say the least but you watch them sit back a little bit more let the play develop in front of him 
And that's why they were able to throw two passes in the entire game and absolutely destroy them. Because he was letting the plays develop the way they were supposed to, and he was actually reading the defense rather than just reacting to whichever player is standing right in front of him. Gotcha. So you do feel like he's at least making improvements. Because that's, honestly, he's been the key all season is just, Andrew, I don't want to take too much time because Artem just came on and we still have to talk about Texas A&M. But do you have any players you'd like to highlight really quick on Tech's offense or defense? Yeah, the biggest thing offense is Zach Quinney at left tackle has really grown into his role. I was really hoping to have big things from him this year. And as the season's gone on, he's gotten a lot better. I think the offense's decision to put Connor Hansen in to start at right guard the last two games has really helped. Hansen's a wider, bigger of a guard than Braun or the guys we had playing there, Brian. And I think that that's kind of helped solidify it a little bit as well. I really want to see a fully healthy Kenny Cooper at center. I think Jahazel Lee's played well for us, but I think Cooper's probably the better player. The biggest thing that I really liked, and Tommy kind of hit on this, is you have seen Marshall grown. And I really liked in the Louisville game, you saw him check a lot. You saw him come to the line, see the front, say, all right, they're playing a 3-4, they're playing a triple stack, they're playing a tough front. You know, this is what we're supposed to check to tough. Let's check it. And it works. You know, he checked toss to tough a couple of times. He checked midline to tough. And all of it was really successful. And that's what I really liked is he's really grown into the offense. Paul Johnson, again, in his press conference this week, talked about, you know, he thinks Marshall tried to do too much early in the year. He tried to make plays. He tried to force things. He just didn't live within the offense. The first touchdown against Louisville is a beautiful textbook triple option. He reads the dive, pulls, he steps to make to, to read the pitch man, and the pitch man has widened hard to play the pitch, so he cuts up field touchdown. And I think that it's shown his growth in the system, and I'm hoping that he can continue to show that and not have kind of a step-back regression. Well, uh, we can only hope, you know. It would, certainly, it would certainly make fans ease up a little bit on everybody, I think. All right, well, Artem, I know you're on there, and you've been waiting to talk about Texas A&M. Uh, a team that actually has money to throw around. So looking at Texas A&M from my perspective as an outsider, I would say they're about where I expected them to be. Uh, they lost the two big games, Clemson and Alabama, but otherwise they've looked really fantastic. Uh, but I'm not the one, I'm not the alumni throwing money at this program. I'm not the one to show them up to games every week. I'm not the one who has to raise a daughter into a household of, uh, future Texas A&M fandom. So you tell me, man, are they where you think they were going to be? Are they Honestly, the... no. A lot of the fan base had low expectations coming into this because you have a new head coach, you have a new defense and a new offense. And kind of looking at the last couple of years and how our run defense has been, I think everybody was cautiously pessimistic about the program. You know, they, they expected Jumbo to come in and win – and, you know, like he said, he's expected to win now. Um, the fan base has, after the Johnny football fiasco, after Kevin Sumlin continuously getting less wins, um, not winning at home in October or November in SEC matchups in the last three years, I think everybody was just cautious because 
you know, we did bring a group of freshmen in, but looking at the this looking at them from through spring ball, a lot of the people that were making the two deep were the the same upperclassmen that played last year. So, not everybody expected these kind of wins. And what I mean by that is, uh, Clemson, Alabama. I think everybody expected those. I think two unexpected is on the next one though. Uh, Kentucky being five and zero, and Kentucky coming into Texas A and M and with a good running back, one of the best ones in the SEC currently. Um, I think everybody expected kind of seeing the old A and M in the Texas A and M that gave up two hundred plus uh, running back yards to LSU and other Alabama and other teams in the last couple seasons per game. So I think uh, after this Kentucky game, I. I think a lot of people's eyes open and now people are starting to look more optimistically at it because we do have this defense that's stuffed the top, arguably the top Kentucky running back and shut them down the whole offense for 70 yards, 70 rushing yards total. And for, I think the stat was like 116 total offensive yards per game for that, the Kentucky game. Um, I think the most fantastic stat from that game was the fact that until overtime, they at no point made it over the 50-yard line. So I don't think anybody saw that kind of improvement in our defense. I think we know we had talent, but it was very surprising seeing that last week. Well, and like you said, a so lot of- How does it feel being a fan of an A&M team that's defense is substantially better than its offense? Because I feel like as an outsider, especially through the Manziel era, there was always talent on the defense, but their defense was never something that could overshadow the offense and be playing this well, especially a rush defense that's, you know, top 10 in the country in rush yards allowed and yards of play allowed. They're just really good. It's a good question. It's confusing. It's very confusing because although kind of like what you said, the most recent AM offenses have definitely overshadowed the defenses because you had players like Manziel, you had Kenny Hill putting up these big points on the board, and it didn't matter essentially what the defense did as long as they got one or two stops. But a lot of the people that are really into the program and really concerned with it were more people who are who attended A&M in the 90s. And the program in the 90s was known for the defense. That's when the wrecking crew was there. That was the big thing. We were known for defenses. So I think it's confusing because – of recent, we had such powerful offenses, but now the defense is coming to the forefront. And I think the confusing part for our fan base is not the fact that I think if they think the offense sucks because they are not used to the style of play and the strategizing that Jimbo does with his offense. Many times he has said, um, the offense will put up as many points as is needed for us to win the game. Sometimes that means we're going to slow the ball down. We're going to slow the tempo down. We're going to run a lot. We're going to get our opponent tired and give our defense a break. And I think that's where the confusion comes from because our offense is not putting up a lot of points, but that's also because they're slowing the tempo down because our defense is getting way less snaps. They can play with much more strength, and they play to win the game, which doesn't mean outscore the opponent by three or four touchdowns. It means, hey, we have the lead. Let's run the clock out or – hey, we think we're going to score on this drive. We have the confidence in scoring on this drive. We're going to win this game, but our goal is to keep the ball and keep our defense from playing too many snaps, which is an alternative 
to one or two seasons ago when our defense was on the field for 90 plus snaps a game and we had four or five people get hurt and that's when the run defense is horrid giving up you know 250 a game so i guess my question now becomes y'all are the ones paying them a truckload of money uh literally a truckload of money what what do you need to see in the next three or four years to feel like you've earned that do do we need to do y'all need to win the division or is this kind of like where you i don't think we're not we're paying them that much money i think people are thinking about this in the now but we've logged this dude in for 10 years and he's getting paid 7.5 million. There are coaches across the country getting raises year to year. And I, I think he's a top three coach now, but you know, in three, four years, I think we're going to have to give him a pay raise or give him an extension just to keep up with the way that this is going. There's a lot of coaches that are going to get paid more as this progressively goes on. It's grown over the last five years and it's grown still. So if we stick the, with the contract he has and, let's say he does average eight or nine wins, then honestly we're getting a discount because 10 years from now, coaches are going to be paying, be paying more if football still exists. But, but just so we're clear, if he gets eight wins the next four years in a row, pay raise? No, that's average. He needs to make it to a New Year's Six Bowl or win either the SEC division or championship or at least okay. make it to the... Next up, uh, we're talking about different teams. Tommy, I know you've got yours in mind. You've already been doing a lot of research on Kennesaw State. Why don't you tell us about how they've done so far this year? Yeah, I actually switched my team. Uh, God damn it, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, Kennesaw State, uh, although if you are interested, what Kendall Bryles is doing with the offense at Houston is really, really interesting. Go Google it. Uh, Kennesaw State, though, FCS team. Uh, Right now, they are ranked in the top five. I say top five because the rankings are different in the FCS, and depending on which ranking you're looking at, they vary anywhere from two to four, I think. Um, Really interesting team. If you look, they lost to Georgia State in the first game, 20-24. to They had a second-half lead that they ended up blowing. Kind of a shame. Uh, Really exciting. But overall, they've been doing really good. They've been putting up 46 points a game. Uh, which if you were, if this was the FBS, if they were in the top level, um, they would actually be a top 10 offense. So they are just absolutely throwing tons up. But also at the same time, they're only giving up less than 12 points a game. Uh, So they are dominant on both sides of the ball. Now, granted, FCS has a much bigger disparity than the FBS does as far as talent between the top teams and everybody right beneath them, there's a lot more. But what they are doing is something worth watching. Now, they are currently tied for first in the Big South right now, the six teams there. Uh, November 3rd, they'll be playing Campbell, which is the other 5-1 and one team uh, right now. Really big game to look at. Uh, their past couple games have been pretty solid. They scored 62 against Alabama State, 70 against Clark Atlanta, and 56 against Presbyterian in three of their last four games. So definitely interesting team. Brian Bohan is doing a great job there. Both sides of the ball look pretty dominant. Definitely a team to check out if you want to get into FCS football. Uh, Good place to start, Kennesaw State. Uh, next up, I think Artem has an interesting person or interesting team to talk about. I had a Kennesaw State question. Uh-oh. How much longer do you think Brian Bohannon's there? Well, we can pretty much say that 
his tenure will be completely determined about whether or not somebody picks him up. He is a Paul Johnson disciple, which means that he's not going to get a lot of double looks, uh, regardless of how good his offense does at the higher level. I think you have to start looking at which teams in the next level are looking to replace somebody and take a little bit of a risk. Kansas or Kansas State or Washington State, if uh, Snyder ends up leaving, I think it's interesting. But I think he'll be there at least another two years just because running that option attack is not something that's too appealing to people regardless of how much success you have. Why do you think it really? No, I just, I was, I was wondering. It's, it's one of those where it's, it's interesting because I think I've said this a lot. There's a lot of programs that I feel like should take a chance on a guy like him because, you know, you look at a school like Kansas, you're, you're not winning doing everything else. So why not try something new? Fair point, but I feel like a lot of people just get uncomfortable around the system. I don't know what it is. There's there's a ton of narratives that no matter how many times you point and say that's absolute bullshit, people still believe them. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, what is it? You know, if you stare in a microwave, it'll melt your brain. Or no, what is it? If you hold a cell phone up to your ear, it'll melt your brain. You know, don't trust the cell phone. I'm, I'm pretty sure the microwaves in my office are giving me cancer every second of every day. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's that's probably the truth. So, before you die of cancer, would you like to tell us what your team is, or do we need to check with Artem first? Are you still? Because I remember you were yeah, really I'm good. I'm alive. Uh, you were really struggling for a while there, uh, f- trying to pick your team, <laughs> Artem. So the team that I really want to talk about is I want to look at your number twenty-five ranked six and zero Cincinnati Bearcats. I remember in the American Conference preview, I talked about Cincinnati as a team not really to expect a lot out of this season, but I thought that Luke Fickle really had them on the right track, was recruiting well. Well, it looks like those returns are coming back a lot sooner. They kind of shocked people with the opening win against UCLA and have really kept rolling in the American. Uh, Although, to be fair, they played Tulane and UConn. I think their biggest questions, though, they do have to play Navy, USF, and at UCF towards the end of the year, and those will really be the three big games that show us if Cincinnati is ahead of schedule or not. And the craziest is they've really been doing it defensively. They're tied for third in the country in points against at 13.7. They've run the ball really well. They run for 255 yards a game, which is good enough for 14th in the country. So they're kind of doing a little old-school you know, let's run the ball, let's keep the ball, and let's play good defense. And it's been really successful for them. So they're definitely a team that I've added onto my watch list, mainly, you know, maybe that Navy game on the 3rd of November or USF-UCF the next two weeks. That that three-game series will be pretty good. Yeah, and I think the American is really heating up, especially with the UCF-Memphis game coming up. And then, of course, uh, as Artem brought up, earlier before the podcast started how there's three undefeated teams in the American that can't last forever. We're going to, I think a lot of stuff's going to go, go down in that conference pretty soon. Speaking of Artem, uh, I don't suppose the microwaves have killed you yet. Artem, you still there? Yep. Still here, buddy. All right. Well, my team's Colorado state. 
stopped picking them halfway through the season because they kept losing in games. Um, you know, it's a very interesting situation. They just built a new stadium last season, and they hired Mike Bobo a couple years ago and gave him an extension the season before that through 2022. And having to let him to let him to a 21-17 record, he has decided that this season they're just gonna suck it up and go two and four. Probably not make a bowl game right after getting that extension through 2022. So it's gonna be an interesting team to watch over the last couple next couple of years. Um, there's been a couple guys that have come out Colorado State to go to the NFL. Uh, Capri Bibbs, I think, was the most recent guy, and he hasn't broken the two deep on a on a depth chart yet, but he's getting close at uh, the Redskins, I believe. But they're going to be an interesting team to watch because they're growing. You could, there's got they got a lot of graduate transfers that got onto the team this year, and they're probably going to be there next year because of the the two season rule nowadays. If you uh, if you're a graduate transfer, you can go to a school and play uh, two seasons now. If you have uh, the capacity, I believe it's up to five years. Is that right, guys? Or does it grant you a six year? I th- is it still five years to play four? Because I don't think they've changed that rule. Right, I think that's what it is. You don't have to sit out, or you don't lose a year sitting out, something like that. Yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's grad five transfers. years to play four, but now the new redshirt rule lets you play four games and yeah. still redshirt. So, so you know, we saw it with Kelly Bryant. So, I mean, you may see it with some older guys that played early, but now want to try to take that redshirt to add an extra year. Yeah, so I see four graduate transfers on the 2D for Colorado State. They're most likely going to be there next year. And it'll be interesting to see how the offense improves. They got Carter Samuels. If you've seen the guy, he's the one that's missing a tooth on the field the whole time. And, you know, he's just not gelling very well. Coming off a a Vanderbilt team where he didn't throw very well, I think it'll be interesting to see the improvement in him next year, as well as some of the up-and-coming guys they, ha- guys they have. Um, their defense is terrible, but, you know, you got a bunch of seniors on that team, and the, the two deep is full of freshmen. So I'm interested to see how the team performs next year. I think this year they kind of disappointed uh, their fan base, going two and four to start the year um, in a new stadium. So you got you got to bring some hype into the program, get people coming to games, and, you know, although I said – Mike Bobo got extended. His salary, I think, is like uh, $1.85 million, which they're saying is a top three in the Mountain West, um, going close to Brian Harsons and Fresno State's head coaches. Um, so Boise State and Fresno State and Colorado State have the top three head coaches, and neither of those teams is going two and four this season. So I think uh, some expectations are going to be set for this guy in the next couple of years. Uh of what he needs to do to be able to stay at Colorado. I think with a new stadium, you get new hype, new fan base, and starting out two and four is just not very good. Um, we'll see what happens with them as their team grows. Like I said, they've got a bunch of freshmen in the two deep. Uh, next year, I think is going to be either a breakthrough year for them or just going to get worse from there because all the all this experience is leaving. You know, if you don't have two back to back good years, you're going to start dropping down on recruiting. I, I just don't see them recovering from that if, if it continues with Mike Bobo. And I'd be looking at him being on the hot seat in the next two years. Gotcha. And will you? Will your wife still be in grad school? Wait, is it you or your wife that's in grad school there uh, in it's two me. years? Oh, okay, yeah. So will you be 
So you're hoping they'll improve before you graduate. Yeah, that'd be great because I got about a year and a half left. <laughs> All right, maybe they'll maybe they'll take it to Vegas for a bowl game. That would be nice. They, yeah, that'd be lovely. Uh, so I had a hard time picking my team because there were so many good options. I kind of wanted to pick Hawaii because they had made it to a bowl. I kind of wanted to pick Army because I'm really high on them. Instead, I made the whatever reason to pick West Virginia. So West Virginia is interesting to me because they're currently the only undefeated team in the Big 12. Um, but they're looking – they haven't played most of their schedule yet. A lot of their schedule is left to be played. Obviously, they're playing Iowa State, then they play Baylor. And I believe it's a bye week going into Texas and then – TCU, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma? Is that right? Uh, I'm actually doing that from memory, so I hope I got that right. But anyway. Yeah, they got they – got so Texas has Baylor, Oklahoma State, then West Virginia. West Virginia has uh, yeah. bye week, Iowa – no, they play Iowa State, then bye week, then Baylor, then Texas. Yeah. So, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas, then TCU, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Am I wrong? No, that's absolutely right. I don't see them saying Yeah, nailed it from memory. Suck my dick. All right, anyway. Um, but, yeah, they. Uh, this was kind of a big year for Dana Holgerson because he he's been on and off the hot seat for a while now. He's trying to get that extension. But it's kind of a weird situation where – Despite the fact that they're 5-0, and I could easily see them losing the last four games of the year, uh, given the way Will Greer is playing. I mean, he threw three turno- he threw three interceptions against Kansas, for, all- for goodness sake. Their defense has not looked as hot as I think people were hoping it would be. And despite some other stumbles in the Big 12, they're- they really haven't played anybody. The one team that they would have played that could have impressed people was NC State, and that game got canceled because of a hurricane. Which also brings up the question that, like, even if they do go undefeated, if they don't impress, you kind of got that argument of, like, well, they only played 10 games, uh, maybe 11 with the championship. Would they beat out an 11-1 team in, like, say, the SEC? Uh, So, yeah, I'm really worried about seeing what will happen to West Virginia down the line. I think it's disappointing because Will Greer – had a chance at a Heisman. I don't think he's going to win that now with the way Tua's playing in Alabama. But this is a team that really concerns me looking down the line, which is a shame because I should really be happy for them. They're 5-0. and They're the best team in the Big 12. They've got nothing but good things going on for them right now. But there's a, just the shadow of the end of the season looming, and I can't help but be scared, especially with the way Texas is playing right now which i know artem doesn't want to hear so yeah i'm i'm hoping they okay hearing facts but i haven't seen any facts heard about texas playing well there's a reason that you fired their defensive coordinator at that game okay all but, right but i saw somewhere that kansas has like the number 13 uh turnover defense in the country their turnover margin oh uh, yeah will Greer definitely helped kansas them also that. just fired their offensive coordinator i mean uh on the defensive side that's why he threw three interceptions. Yeah, but Andrew just wanted to say that because he had literally looked up the article a few seconds ahead of time. But yeah. All right. So there's a if you go to the West Virginia page on ESPN, 
there's a play on there that says Kansas completes pass despite West Virginia dropping all 11 players. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, again, <laughs> their defense is the concern, but Will Greer has always also been very on and off. Like, if you watch the Tennessee game, the whole first half, you're like, what are you doing? Just kind of just air it out. Their defense is not even that impressive. And then in the second half, he's just on. It's like it feels like every single thing he hits. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he's not helping his draft stock, that's for sure. I, I really want to see what happens down the line because this is going to have a big impact on Will Greer, going to have a big impact on Dana Holgerson. And, frankly, I want to see – West Virginia has a great fan base, and I want to see him in the playoff. But right now, all I've got – I picked – what it comes down to is I picked another fan base that just does nothing but put me on pins and needles. I can't – I hate I, – I, the re, that's the reason I keep coming back to Alabama is because it's like at least I know we're going to win. I can't pick another fan base that just wins. Like, God. Anyway. So would they North still Dakota be – Oh, yeah. Would they yeah. still be undefeated if the uh, – was it North Carolina State game wasn't canceled? I think so, or I would have thought so at the time, but now looking back at it, I'm not so sure. Um, so, yeah, that's a tough one. And, Andrew, how the hell would I cheer for North Dakota State? What ties me to North Dakota State? My, like, 10 years in federal prison? Team, teams that, that win a lot of national titles in a row. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I would have gone with my 10 years in federal prison, but, I mean, I understand, yeah. We're, we are legally not allowed to talk about that. You and I both signed the non-disclosure agreements. Damn it! I broke my non-disclosure agreements, son of a bitch. All right, well, that means we got to wrap it up, guys. We're, we're about to get sued. All right, so we got to wrap it up. Thanks, as always, for listening to Tommy's Leather Podcast. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your week. Check us out at tomeatleather at gmail.com. Ugh. Sorry. Check us, send us an email at toemeetsleather at gmail.com, toemeetsleatherpodcast at gmail.com, and check us out on Twitter at toemeetsleatherpodcast. All right, got to leave before I get sued or thrown back in prison. Bye, everybody.